Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Sly Hooper Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. Coming with another episode for the first time in a while. You know, some work stuff came up and, you know, honestly, probably needed a little bit of a break after the recent string of podcasts that I was on. But we're back and we're here to talk some NBA trades and... There were quite a few notable trades yesterday. It was a decent trade deadline. I think after the 2015 trade deadline happened, I think all trade deadlines are just underwhelming compared to that one. But this one was pretty good. There were some teams that were sellers, players that moved to teams that were unexpected after some were the favorites. And then there was one particular star who is a needle-moving player in the league that decided to stay put in his franchise that he basically built from the ground up and became the best, you know, rafter in franchise history. Talking about Kyle Lowry, of course. But we will not get into Kyle Lowry. Well, we will a little bit later on in the pod. But here's what we're going to do. There were... 16 deadline deals. I'm not even going to count the trades that happened before the trade deadline, but there were 16 trade deadline deals. And instead of going over every single one of them, because I'm sure no one would want to hear me talk for an hour and a half to myself about each trade, I'm going to do, I'm going to go over five notable trades at the deadline. I'm going to give my thoughts on each one. I'm going to give myself five minutes each on every trade. Um, so it should be about 25, 30 minutes. Uh, probably we'll go over a little bit on the five minute limit, but I will try to keep it within five minutes because there are just some moves that I really liked. A few moves that were not bad, but kind of puzzling. And then, of course, I wanted to talk about my team, the Sixers, who were active or semi-active at the trade deadline. They did get a little bit better, but they were also one of the teams in the Lowry sweepstakes. So let's just get right into it. We're going to do five minutes on each trade that happened at the deadline or the five trades that I picked out of the 16 that happened at the deadline. So (laughs) we're going to start with the Houston Rockets. So let's get to it. All right, so setting the timer right now, we are going to talk about the Miami Heat getting Victor Oladipo from the Houston Rockets. And one, of course, everybody's talking about it. The trade return that the Rockets got for Victor Oladipo was absolute trash. And now the James Harden trade, now that all the assets involved in that trade are, for the most part, done. The final return looks god-awful, but first, let's just get into the return of the Oladipo trade first, then we'll break down why the Rockets trade, ultimately, when they traded James Harden, is one of the worst trade returns for a superstar ever in my lifetime. So the Miami Heat got Victor Oladipo from the Rockets for Avery Bradley, who hardly played this year, Kelly Olynyk, who was seldomly in the rotation, and a 2022 first-round draft swap. So basically, the Rockets got nothing to value back for a player that they picked over Karis LeVert in the four-team trade that involved James Harden. And the Heat literally didn't have to spend anything on a rental that was reportedly, according to guys like Kevin O'Connor, a backup plan because we all know the Heat were one of the front runners in the Kyle Lowry sweepstakes. Now, Victor Oladipo has been 
you know, kind of bad this year. I think he's still recovering from that weird quad injury that has been plaguing him. He has had some nagging injuries throughout this year, but he's averaging 20 points on very low efficiency. Really still kind of looks like a shell of himself. He shows flashes of the 2017-2018 Victor Oladipo where he averaged 23 points per game and was a stalwart two-way player in the league but for Miami it's a nice you know buy low rental they can see how Victor Oladipo looks we all know Victor Oladipo is a hard worker is one of those guys that likes to have a chip on his shoulder which fits which fits the quote-unquote hashtag culture for Miami and it's a nice you know buy low sell high cash out high hopefully gives the heat another ball handler another defender hopefully hopefully the heat system can pull out some of the good qualities of Oladipo as he were, you know, tries to get back to at least a shell of that 2017-18 self, because I do think Victor Oladipo is still a decent player. So for the Miami Heat, for this to be your backup plan, especially after the Lowry, the Lowry sweepstakes fell through and they didn't want to overpay for a 35-year-old point guard who would, would have definitely swung the needle for any of the contenders, I think for the Heat right now where they're at, still a good team that can probably surprise some people in the playoffs. I think this move was probably the better alternative, especially given that <laughs> the Rockets are just bungling literally everything they have done since Tillman Fertitta took over. And now we got to put, you know, we got to put some of the blame on new GM Raphael Stone, because even if there was a mandate from ownership of not wanting to work out a trade with their former GM, Daryl Morey with the Sixers, we have to look at this objectively. You should never, ever run an organization out of spite. And so when the Rockets were shopping offers from James for James Harden, Ben Simmons was clearly on the table. He was clearly the best asset out of anything the Rockets got. So if we just look at the original four-team trade, the Rockets got back Victor Oladipo, who is now gone and literally got nothing back. Dante Exum, who has never stayed healthy. Rodion's Kuruks, who recently just um, pleaded or settled to take a 16-week domestic violence program, so he's probably not going to play, and he shouldn't. And then there is, they got a load of draft picks from the Brooklyn Nets, which are probably not even going to be that good, at least for the first couple of years, and who knows what happens in seven years, and then pick swaps, and then, of course, a first-round pick from the Bucks in 2022, which is most likely going to be high because Giannis Antetokounmpo is still on the roster and will be for the foreseeable future, of course. And now that we look at this final offer after the Oladipo trade, the Rockets ended up getting, for James Harden, Avery Bradley, Kelly Olynyk, Dante Exum, Rodion's Kuruks, all those late first round picks I just mentioned, and pick swaps with contenders. Just an awful return for a superstar. Terrible mismanagement of assets and a just dumbass decisions when trying to get a return for a superstar. You're never going to get value in return for a superstar, obviously, but... Two, one, the Rockets had a chance to get a blue chip top 15 to 20 player in Ben Simmons, but because of Tillman Fertitta's spite for Daryl Morey, who was the Rockets president of basketball operations and now works for Philadelphia, he didn't want to make a trade with Morey. He denied 
or he, rep, those are the reports at least. He did not want Ben Simmons for some odd reason and chose to go with the Nets package. And by the way, the Rockets could have had Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, but instead they do a four-team trade and they end up picking up garbage in a four-team trade. The Cavaliers come in and they're like, wait, we can get Jared Allen? Okay. And then they come in and barely give up anything. They're the dude at the swap meet who just threw a nickel in and got something for free and that you know, came out to be Jared Allen. And then, of course, Karis LeVert goes to the Pacers. The, the Rockets could have been better off taking those guys, let alone Ben Simmons. And now the Rockets are just stuck with crap assets. They are stuck with players who probably don't want to be there, aside from, you know, Christian Wood and John Wall, probably. They got terrible return for P.J. Tucker, it's just the Rockets have really bungled this thing really badly. And now that we know the final return on the James Harden trade, it is easily one of the worst returns for a superstar that I could remember in NBA history. All right, so now we're going to move on to the Orlando Magic Denver Nuggets deal. After about three straight seasons of being in trade rumors, the Magic finally became sellers. They committed to the full rebuild, trading three of their biggest contracts on the team. And it started with, well, one, it started with Nikola Vucevic, who we'll talk about later. But the other main guy, Aaron Gordon, is now going to the Denver Nuggets, along with Gary Clark, in exchange for Gary Harris, rookie RJ Hampton, who is a dog when you watch him play and a 2025 first-round pick. Of course, that pick is most likely going to be high because Nikola Jokic is going to be with the team for a long time, I imagine, as a Tier 1 superstar, of course. Let's just start on the Nuggets side of it. Of course, I love this trade for the Nuggets. Uh, Gary Harris has, one, been hurt. His three-point shooting has fallen off a cliff over the last three seasons. I remember one of my first bouts with NBA Twitter on my old Twitter account was when Woj announced the extension, the four-year $80 million extension that Harris got, and that was coming off of a nice season where he showed that he was a 3-and-D player. And I remember saying, you know, the people who questioned the contract only watched two Nuggets games because if you watched this, if you watched the Nuggets that year and then, you know, Harris getting his extension, it was worth it. Well, Harris isn't exactly good anymore or healthy. Well, I wouldn't say Harris is good. He's a good defender, but the problem is he can't stay on the court and his three point shooting fell off of a cliff. So maybe he can get revitalized in Orlando. But the point is. They sent Gary Harris. They sent a rookie that they probably wasn't going to play that much. And they end up getting a player who, one, is very talented, but probably was pigeonholed in the wrong role in Orlando. He ran pick and rolls very poorly. He, um, as a first option, was way underqualified to be a first option. Aaron Gordon in a third or fourth option type of role is exactly the type of player that I think is most effective for him the most effective game for him he can do a lot of things really well he can defend multiple positions he can ball handle a little bit although you don't want him doing it all the time hence why I said you don't want him running pick and roll a lot and he has taken steps as a three-point shooter last year he didn't shoot it so well but the two years before that, it was on the rise. And now this year, he is shooting a career-high 37.5% from three on nearly four and a half attempts per game. And kind of the perfect four to play off of Jokic. 
Um, Gordon can kind of cover a lot of things defensively, especially now that Paul Millsap is getting longer in the tooth. And and now Jokic probably has the most athletic target that he has had at the forward position since Kenneth Fareed in the early days when he was when Jokic was fighting over minutes with Yusuf Nurkic. And you know, Aaron Gordon can kind of fit in any lineup. I don't see any problem with him and say him, Murray. If you think about in a potential playoff series, you look at the potential closing lineup for the Nuggets. You think of somebody like maybe Monte Morris or Faku Campazo. At the point guard, of course, you got Jamal Murray, who has been really putting together a torrid stretch that was better than even his performance in the bubble after having a slow start to this season. And then you put in Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Jokic. That is a great closing five for the Nuggets. And I think Aaron Gordon will help the Nuggets immensely on the defensive end and it turned because it turned out they missed Jeremy Grant and Torrey Craig a lot even though the Nuggets were still a middle of the road defensive team last year we all know the defensive problems they have had this year the percentage of the percentage the high percentage of shots at the rim that Jokic has been allowing is crazy high I think opponents are shooting nearly 70 percent at the rim against Yoke when Jokic is defending the paint and I think Gordon covers up a lot of those, and he could do a little bit of everything. I could see him making, getting easy baskets, cutting off of Jokic feeds, running some pick-and-roll game with Jamal Murray, and then, of course, spacing the floor out because, you know, his catch-and-shoot numbers are, Aaron Gordon's catch-and-shoot numbers have been great. The problem is, in Orlando, he's been taking more shots off the dribble because there really is no one else to create for themselves, especially given that Cole Anthony has been hurt with uh, his cracked rib and Markel Fultz tore his ACL to start the year. And now um, as for the magic, they're going to be in Selmo. There's really not much else to go on the magic. I'm probably going to go over the magic a little bit anyway, when I talk about the Bulls Vucevic trade, which is also another trade that we're going to talk about. But as far as the nuggets go, Aaron Gordon was it looked like Boston was, once again, the favorite to get Aaron Gordon, and that's just a story of Danny Ainge. just like, ooh, I almost traded for this guy, but then ends up getting Evan Fournier, who, you know, is a good shooter, is a decent player, but he, I don't know if he would, would have moved the needle for the Celtics like Aaron Gordon would, and I think he definitely moves the needle for the Nuggets, and when you got an MVP-type player like Jokic, and the way that he is playing, which is one of the he has, he is posting one of the best offensive seasons of all time. You have to take a chance on getting one a player like Aaron Gordon, who is still athletic, twenty five years old, and is still discovering different parts of his game. And I think in a different role, which is you know a third or fourth role, nothing any nothing anything crazy beyond that. I think he could be a really well supercharged fourth third or fourth option that could do a little bit of everything. So I love this trade for the Nuggets was honestly one of my favorite trades of the deadline. This trade I have been going back and forth on all day, but the Portland Trailblazers Raptors trade where they sent Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood to the Toronto Raptors or the Tampa Bay Raptors, depending on how you look at it, of course. And in return, they got back Norman Powell and, you know, it was a little bit surprising considering the performance in the bubble that Gary Trent Jr. had. 
And then following into this season, he has had a really good year, especially coming off of the bench. And then, of course, starting in spot minutes for or not starting in spot minutes, but, you know, replacing CJ McCollum in the starting lineup while CJ was on the bend with a foot fracture. And, you know, Gary Trent Jr. continued his kind of continued his efficiency from the bubble, averaging 15 points and your 40 percent three point shooter, somebody who was could defend with size. And so it surprised me a little bit that Gary Trent was sent into a possible trade. If you think about it, it was surprising that Gary Trent was involved in a trade. But as I started to think about it, maybe the deal is good for both sides. Originally, my thought process was if the Blazers believe that this is Norman Powell's peak, then it might be a bad deal for the Blazers because Norman Powell is peaking right now. He's having a career offensive year. He's averaging nearly 20 points per game on 44% shooting from three and nearly 50% from the field. So if you think this is his peak and you're trying to cash in on his peak offensive career year right now, then for this, then and Norman Powell has another year on his deal, then it's probably was not worth it. But then you think about it, Gary Trent is a restricted free agent this summer, unless, of course, he took the qualifying offer, which, you know, they're not going to do. Um, so it was probably clear the Blazers weren't going to match that. Um, he was going to be a restricted free agent this summer and was probably going to make a lot of money. So now you get Norman Powell, who's right now the better player offensively speaking at least and you know he's still good defensively but he's a little bit smaller than Gary Trent I was kind of surprised when people were saying that you know Powell was bigger than Trent Trent is 6'5 and you know Powell is 6'3 and I was kind of like wait what but anyway this deal for the Blazers is actually I like it the more and more I think about it let's look at Norman Powell's career so far because he I remember he signed that four-year extension coming off of a really bad 2017-18 season where he kind of took a step back from his second year. You know, he was averaging eight points in the second year, but he was making progress, and you could tell he was going to be at least a young asset for the Raptors, but he had a really bad year, averaged just over five points a game, was terrible from three-point range, was really, it was just a, it was his lowest career in minutes since his rookie year, and you know, every year after that, he has gotten better. His three-point shooting kept upticking. His scoring kept improving. Last year, he averaged 16 points per game on 40% shooting from three, despite missing games because of injury and coming off of the bench and starting. Because, of course, the Raptors also were dealing with injuries last year. And now this year, it has he has transformed and taken another level, and it is now... He he is now having the best offensive season of his career. So I guess it makes sense for the Blazers. You get somebody who is another ball handler who could get to the paint and also stretch the floor out and gives, you know, somebody like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum uh, less of a load on their shoulders. And so the more I thought about it, the more I was like, okay, so I would take another year of Powell's contract if it meant that, I don't think the Blazers would have made a mistake, you know, matching any restricted free agency offer for Gary Trent either, because I like Gary Trent as a player. He's a hard worker. He obviously has, there's this give a shit attitude that I like about Gary Trent, but 
you know, the the Blazers decided to go with the older and more experienced player, somebody who's won a championship and somebody who will absolutely help the Blazers. As far as the Raptors go, they got a really good player in, in obviously, in uh, Gary Trent Jr. Rodney Hood was kind of a I wouldn't say it was a throw-in. He was kind of integral to the Blazers before his Achilles injury, and it was, you know, very clear that obviously he got sent off in a trade with Gary Trent, and Ro- or he got sent off in a trade with Gary Trent. But it was, you know, clear that maybe the roles were shrinking for Rodney Hood. The Blazers have suffered a lot of injuries this year too, so I imagine that they are probably just getting some more offensive insurance, but Norman Powell is a dogged defender too. He tries his ass off on that end of the floor. I like every time I watch the Raptors, I like watching him play and I'm glad that he is living up to his contract. And so the Blazers are buying high on a person who it, honestly, I don't think peaking is the right term for Norman Powell. You, we, you could argue that this year might be his peak and that the Blazers are buying high in that Powell might not reach these heights again next year. There's no guarantee, but Norman Powell has improved each of the last three seasons. The problem is, of course, injuries because he does play super hard and also can that sustain and can he fit in in a system that, you know, is very guard friendly, but is very guard dominated with those two guys. So that will be interesting to see. But I do like the trade for the Raptors because they did get a very nice player in Gary Trent Jr. And he'll get whatever bag, like CJ McCollum said in last night's TNT game after the win against the Miami Heat. He's going to be rooting for him to get his bag wherever wherever he goes, and it'll be well-deserved because Gary Trent Jr. is a good player. But I think now the more that I think about it, I this is kind of a trade that I like on both sides here. So now we're going back to the Orlando Magic, who apparently just decided to have a fire sale yesterday, finally, after years of being in trade rumors, like I mentioned before. But they finally traded their franchise center, Nikola Vucevic, to the Chicago Bulls. And the full deal on that trade, the Bulls basically get Nikola Vucevic, who is having a career year, and Al Farouk Aminu from the Orlando Magic. And in return, the Magic get Wendell Carter, who I still personally believe in and was really tainted by a season and a half under Jim Boylan. It was just terrible. Then Otto Porter and two second-round picks. This is another one of these deals that I just really love for the Chicago Bulls. Obviously, the Bulls are fighting for the play-in right now. The Bulls have kind of meandered the last few years as a team that was really talented, but then, of course, it was marred by some of the worst coaching I have ever seen in my, what, 29 years? I'm 29, so in my near 20 years of watching the NBA since I was 8 years old, although really, honestly, when you're a kid and a teenager growing up watching basketball, you don't have as much of a sound concept of how much coaches can affect a game. But now that the Bulls have Billy Donovan as kind of a coaching upgrade, because it's one of those you really can't go anywhere else but up in terms of the coaching situation, now you bring in Nikola Vucevic, who is averaging nearly 25 and 12 every night, and along with four assists, and he's shooting 40% from three on nearly seven attempts per game, and it's by far his best shooting year so far. This was the perfect time 
for somebody like the Bulls to trade for somebody like Vucevic, who I think is a really good player, even though you can quibble about his defensive limitations. He is a really talented offensive center who really hasn't played with a guard or scoring guards like Zach Levine, who we need to, I hope, by now, everybody has changed their opinion on Zach Levine, who is having a career year. He's, I mean, the guy is basically 28, 5, and 5 on 50, 40, and 87% from the free throw line. Zach Levine has been outrageous this year, and Vooch hasn't really played with anybody like that. And to have somebody that can pick and pop and can also score around the basket while finishing defensive possessions with rebounds, although Vooch will never be a defensive anchor, I think is a really good pickup for the Bulls. They are one of the few teams in the Eastern Conference now that have two All-Stars on the team, and I think they're two well-deserving All-Stars, and... I just like this offensive combination for the Bulls. Now, if you could just imagine a even they're struggling right now, they're 19 and 24. But every time I've watched the Bulls this year, they've been in close games. Zach Levine has taken over. Zach Levine, I just have to reiterate, has made some of the most ridiculous shots that make you go. I don't think anybody else in the NBA can make that type of shot. And now that he has some you know, competent coaching and decent players around him. You know, obviously it's up and down because I still think they are lacking that connector, the guy who can, you know, move the ball around and, you know, set the table, rack up assists. But if you think about, you know, in the play-in range in that sardine can part of the Eastern Conference where it's like four through ten is separated by only so many games, just imagine a closing lineup of Levine, Kobe White or Derek Temple, depending on who you're comfortable with at that other guard spot. And then, of course, you go with Thaddeus Young or Patrick Williams, who was turning out to just be, he has proved everybody wrong. The Bulls have proved everybody wrong with that draft selection. I really like Patrick Williams, even though I questioned it myself at the time. You still got decent players like Sadoransky. Valentine is finally starting to get some minutes after not being injured. But Thaddeus Young, Vucevic, Patrick Williams, Levine, and one of Kobe White or Garrett Temple. Or if you're feeling frisky enough, you could put Vooch and Laurie Marketing together, although I really don't know what that means for their fu- for Marketing's future at least. But considering also that, one, the reason I think the Bulls bought high correctly on this is because Vucevic is on the right side of 30. He has a contract that will go all the way through twenty the uh, 2023 season. I have to say, I really like this trade by the Bulls. And they didn't really have to give up too much. And we can't forget Al Farouk Aminu. He's kind of like a swingman defender. He can, you know, defend multiple positions. And I just, I like what the Bulls did. They did what they could. They got talent. And I can appreciate a team that's saying, you know what? We still might be middle of the road or, you know, five games below 500 right now, but been in a lot of close games. We When we're talented and it's all clicking, we can go with anybody. And now they have kind of a really dynamic offensive, you know, one-two punch with Levine and, and uh, Vucevic, and I really like this trade. The Magic, of course, we went over this. They are doing the full rebuild. I like that they took a flyer on Wendell Carter. Looks like Otto Porter is going to be a buyout but they were able to get two second-round picks back 
in the deal. I just didn't expect him to trade Vucevic. It seemed like nobody was saying that Vucevic was going to be traded, even though he was thrown around in rumors. It just looked like he was going to stay. But the Bulls were able to match a price that the Magic wanted, and they got their all-star, and he's going to be under contract along with Zach Levine. So now we just see where the Bulls go from here. They're definitely going to be one of the teams to watch down the stretch as they try to move up the seedings and try to get off this schneid, or they stay in the play-in and become a really dangerous playing team. But either way, I like this move for the Bulls. They really did well, and Vooch can finally play with, you know, some of the best. He, these are going to be the best guards he's played with since he was a rookie in Philadelphia with Drew Holiday, Lou Williams, Andre Iguodala, and all those guys. So I'm excited for Vooch and excited for Bulls fans. Setting the timer at five minutes for the last trade. And of course, I'm just going to be biased straight up and pick this trade out. And also, not because it's my team, the Philadelphia 76ers, but because I do think this trade does kind of have an impact on the conference. And it's funny, you know, I saw a lot of Raptors Twitter and, you know, some of Bucks Twitter, you know, questioning, you know, the Sixers, you know, drive of getting... Uh, stars and capitalizing on Joel Embiid's MVP. We don't know how much he, we don't know what he has left. He's an injury time bomb. We have to do something and take advantage of his talents now. And I get it. I wanted Lowry too. I even wanted Harden, but there was also no downside to standing pat. Uh, well, if you don't want to count the downside of missing out on a possible MVP candidate and then missing out on a possible one of the best point guards in the league, the greatest point guard in rap, the greatest player in Raptors franchise history and a champion, that is the downside. But keeping Simmons is a is not like it's some shitty consolation prize or standing pat at this trade deadline. It's not like it was a shitty consolation prize. But anyway, to the trade of one of the other point guards the Sixers acquired. So basically, the Sixers were able to nab George Hill from the Oklahoma City Thunder. George Hill was kind of the player everybody, every Sixer fan wanted on the team. They also got Ignis Brezdakis. It was a three-team deal between the Sixers, the Knicks, and the Thunder. The Knicks get Terrence Ferguson and um, Vincent Poirier. And the Thunder get Austin Rivers, Tony Bradley, and two second-round picks. So the Thunder once again stack up picks. And I think they have 17 first and 17 seconds, which is insane. But for the Sixers' side, I really love this pickup because, one, the Sixers have still needed a professional combo guard, somebody who is a respectable point guard but can also play off the ball. And George Hill has long been one of those guys that can do that. The last time he played a meaningful amount of games was on a contender with the Milwaukee Bucks last season in 2019-20, where he shot the hell out of the ball from three, um, coming off the bench, shooting 46% from three, averaging you know nearly 10 points a game, and still providing that point of attack defense and size that can guard both guard spots. And I think while George Hill isn't exactly the sexy name on the market or the pedigree of a Kyle Lowry in in terms of point guard play, I do think it is fair to point out that even with some slightly better ball handling, it's not much, but it's still average. Shake Milton was obviously overtaxed, you know, manning the second unit by himself as the only ball handler, considering 
the lack of burst he has and that he needs Dwight to spring him open on basically borderline illegal screens a lot to get to the rim. I do think if when George Hill coming off the bench gives the Sixers a little bit of a different look and gives the Sixers access to different lineups that they have been running but didn't necessarily have the personnel to run. And it gives them easily their best competent point guard that they have had in the Simmons and Embiid era, unless you want to count six months of Jimmy Butler. But in terms of actual point guard play, this is a great pickup for the Sixers because now it'll take less pressure off of Shake Milton coming off the bench. It stabilizes the bench. And Ben Simmons, when Doc Rivers decides to go to different lineups where it's Simmons-centric or Simmons is playing with the bench, there's more spacing, there's a little bit more ball handling, and George Hill is just a smart basketball player without sacrificing a lot on the defensive end. He is just a solid two-way guard who, yes, he is 34, but has proven that he is always productive on good teams, has been in big games playing for the Spurs, the Pacers, not going to count, you know, the half season in Sacramento, but then, of course, the Cavaliers was a starter in the finals. The Milwaukee Bucks, he was crucial for the Milwaukee Bucks in the two years that they were contenders. At least he could still shoot, um, not so much in the first year with Milwaukee in 2018-19, but this is a great pickup for the Sixers because now they can try different types of lineups in case, let's say, in the playoffs, Seth Curry gets targeted frequently and isn't say Seth Curry has a slump in one of the second round or first round series and gets picked on on the defensive end Doc has the ability now to call an audible and put George Hill in the starting lineup maybe um it just imagine I'm imagining just a just let's let me just throw one of the a lineup out there for you so Say one, the Sixers decide to just go with Embiid, Simmons, Danny Green, George Hill, and Tobias Harris. Or if they want to do a three-guard lineup around Simmons and Embiid, they can go Danny Green, George Hill, Seth Curry, or take out Seth Curry and put in Shake Milton, or take out Shake Milton and put in Matisse Thibel. And you can already kind of see the different types of lineups that are a little bit more modernized now, thanks to George Hill's skill set being added to this team. Like I said... Player pedigree, does it move the needle for the Sixers? Would it have put the Sixers in the same conversation as the Brooklyn Nets in terms of title contenders in the Eastern Conference? Probably not, but George Hill does bring some versatility and allows the Sixers to play some lineups that they have been trying that could swing a playoff series, and I think that is just as important as anything else. So I definitely went over five minutes on all of these, but some of these trades have just been awesome. You know, a trade I, I there's a trade in there that I have, you know, come around on in the Blazers Raptors trade. But this is going to be an interesting finish to the season. The season has already been weird. But uh, I guess we should talk about Kyle Lowry real quick. Just from a Sixer fan perspective, I would have liked Kyle Lowry on the Sixers. I've, I said that before, just like how I said earlier, I would have liked James Harden on the Sixers as well. But I am fine with whatever Daryl Morey decides to do. If this was Brian Colangelo at the trade deadline, I would have been shitting myself because he is he was terrible and always over, overpaid. And... I just had less trust in him than I do Daryl Morey, who is very smart at these things. And yes, 
while maybe he did miss the boat on Kyle Lowry, the Sixers are still top in the Eastern Conference. The players are playing great, by the way, without Joel Embiid, and I am shocked at how well the Sixers are playing without Joel Embiid. I'm even more shocked that the Sixers have led the league in defensive rating for the last month. Over the last month, the Sixers have by far have had the best defensive rating, and they still have the best defensive rating by far in this same stretch that Joel Embiid has been out, which is absolutely shocking to me did not expect that to happen so maybe these players are developing they are learning they are getting important reps especially guys who wouldn't usually play and now doc has to try all these funky lineups now that all the centers are gone last night he was trying mike scott at the center to keep dwight howard to to have dwight howard still come off the bench then dwight got ejected and then we had to insert b-ball paul paul reed my guy, my second round, you know, steal the guy that I'm tracking. I really only know Paul Reed because, you know, of YouTube clips. I didn't watch him much at DePaul, but I know John Hollinger is a big fan of him. I know he's he has the outline of an advanced analytics darling, but I just love that his nickname is B-Ball Paul. And he's one of those players that just works really hard. He showed flashes last night. He's probably going to get more playing time. But, you know, did the Sixers make a mistake? not trading for Kyle Lowry. We have to think at the end of the day, as good as Kyle Lowry is, and as much as I think Kyle Lowry probably has, what, one or two more good years left, he is 35. He was going to ask for a contract extension this summer. We still didn't know if he's gonna he was going to stay with the team that he ended up going to. I guess that was one of the things with the Kyle Lowry sweepstakes is there was a lot of reports that you know, the Raptors were letting Lowry figure out a contract situation with the teams that were in talks of trading for Kyle Lowry. So an extension looked like it was going to come with that. Doesn't look like a lot of the teams wanted to do it. Uh, the Heat, it sounded like Tyler Hero was the hangup in that trade, according to a lot of reports that I read today. And it seems like that was the same for the Sixers. The report was Maxi, Thibel, and two picks. And I would definitely would have done Maxi and two picks for Lowry. But giving up Thibel and some other stuff that I for a rental 35-year-old point guard would have moved the needle this year. But the Sixers are still contenders, and they still get to keep some of their flexibility. So it's not like that alternative was bad either. I just thought it was hilarious that a lot of the East Contemporary's Twitter fan bases were just, you know, roasting the Sixers for not trading for James Harden. Even though it's been well reported by now that Tillman Fertitta did not deal with Daryl Morey out of spite and also at the end of the day Kyle Lowry's a 35 year old point guard and this George Hill deal was not a bad alternative considering what I just explained earlier about what George Hill's skill set specifically can bring to this team and how it could change some of the stuff the Sixers have been able to do which in the long run the little stuff adds up could help them down the road as they try to get through the playoffs and I cannot wait to see the big fella come back and play with this team because this team is playing with confidence, at least defensively. Hopefully George Hill can also un unglue some stuff offensively that has just been rough to watch. But I do like what the Sixers did, and I don't think it was as egregious that they didn't go for Lowry, even though I wanted him on the team. And, you know, I think the Heat also did good or did well awful grammar on my part we'll get better at that but I think the Heat did well 
in going to their backup plan if they weren't going to get Lowry. They didn't give up Tyler Hero, although I think Tyler Hero is starting to become one of those guys that might have peaked a little bit too soon, and we think the ceiling is higher than maybe what it realistically is for him down the road. Still a good player, but maybe we should relax a little bit. But they get Victor Oladipo. They, of course, traded for Nemanja Bialica from the Sacramento Kings, who is a good underrated player. I have been a Bialica fan. It's a, one of like my early bits, I guess, when my podcast was less well-known and I had way less followers on Twitter, which I have like 130. So this is when I had like 10. But I was pounding the table for Bialica to get more minutes in Minnesota because Thibodeau would just, Tom Thibodeau, who was the coach at the time, would just give him inconsistent minutes. And I was like, this guy can play and this guy could shoot from the power forward position and he could pass a little bit. And now I think the Heat have, you know, restocked a little bit and can now make a real, not run in the regular season, but if they stick in the, you know, in anywhere from the fourth through sixth range, they've been on a little bit of a snide lately and then lost to the Blazers last night. But if the Heat can coalesce by the time the playoffs start, they're going to be a tough out again, especially if the Victor Oladipo thing works out. So I think the Heat also were fine just standing pat. I think the Heat did well just standing pat and not overpaying for Kyle Lowry as well. But uh, Kyle Lowry is still a really good player. I would definitely hope that the Sixers would at least be interested in signing him when he becomes a free agent this summer. Um, on a reasonable deal because I still think Lowry has a few years left. It's just that the time wasn't right this time around, and I don't think either team should get roasted for that. So that was my trade reaction thoughts. Thank you for listening to the Sly Hooper podcast on the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. Stay tuned next week as we bring you more Hoops Talk on the pod. Thank you for listening. Leave a like and make sure you subscribe and spread the word. And until then, deuces.